efforts for inclusion, equality, and negotiating self amidst systemic disenfranchisement, violence, and loss. Gallery is in the Jewel Center on the KCKCC main campus, 7250 State Avenue. For more information on these and the many events that have been recently added, go to kkfi.org slash artskcgo. Hi, this is Stan Kessler. You're listening to 90.1 FM KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. The views and opinions of this program are those of its host and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of 90.1 FM, KKFI, Midcoast Radio Project, or its staff and volunteers. about it is appealing everything the traffic will allow no way could you get that happy feeling when you are stealing that extra bow there's no people like show people they smile when they are long yesterday they told you you would not go far that night you open and there you are next day on your dressing room they Make up the props, the audience that lifts you when you're down. The headaches, the heartaches, the backaches, the flops, the sheriff who escorts you out of town. The opening when your heart beats like a drum. The closing when the customers don't come. Before the show has started That your favorite uncle died at dawn And top of that, your partner have parted You're broken-hearted, but you go on There's no people like show people They smile when they are long Even with a turkey that you know will hold You may be stranded out in the cold Still you wouldn't change it Well, hello again to all of you out there. Welcome to this Monday's edition of the KKFI Arts Magazine Show. Hi, I'm Michael Hogue, your host. Glad to have you with us. It's a beautiful day outside here in Mid-America as you listen to the Arts Magazine Show right here on KKFI 90.1 FM, your community radio station right here in Kansas City. It's been an unusual week. We had ice storm. We had a championship parade. <laughs> and all that goes in with that. It was, it was a lot of fun for a lot of people and uh, uh, not too many problems from what we've heard. Here. <laughs> so, so glad all of you managed to keep it in control uh, amidst your celebrations and all that goes along with that. So congratulations to everyone who helped pull that off. 
You know, more and more, as I do interviews here on the station, I do interviews that have a connection to UMKC. Now, that is, that can be theatrical, that can be musical, it can be a lot of different things, but more and more. I've done several interviews uh, within the last year for people who uh, were involved with UMKC, uh, were teaching there, and then then after that going off and doing uh, uh, a tour. Uh, That happened on one or two occasions. And we're going to talk about uh, another one of those events coming up here today, the uh, the Sandbox Percussion Group. And I'm going to let them explain it because they know a heck of a lot more of this about this than I do, are, are having a show on, I wrote this down, Monday, March the 6th at 7.30 p.m. at the UMK, at, uh, no, at the Just Off-Broadway Theater, which is not very far from the campus of UMKC. And with us to tell us all about Seven Pillars, uh, a well-known piece, incidentally, that they will be performing are uh, Johnny Allen and Victor Kachizi. Do do I even have that right, Victor? I'm, I'm so sorry. That's, that's that's pretty good. No, no. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, I'm glad to have you with us on the show. I got this. Uh, I got this message kind of late in the week, so uh, it's put together. So you know, I don't have my usual amount of information, but I have uh, two guys that should do it. That should, should have it. They're they're calling today from New York, and two of their colleagues teach over at UMKC. And they weren't able to come today, but you guys uh, called in from. Uh, New York City, so th- thanks for doing all that. But I assume you'll be coming for the concert in, in another week or so? Yeah, yeah, we'll all be there. And actually, you know, strangely enough, all four of us do teach at UMKC. There, oh. <laughs> there are two guys in town now, but uh, but they're actually actively teaching as we speak. So the, the we kind of rotate who goes in one after another. But sure enough, next week, all four of us will descend upon... Kansas City and perform this concert. We're really excited. Well, how does how does that work then? Do you, do you rotate your teaching duties? Uh, and and what is it that that you teach uh, the uh, the young folks over there? Yeah, so the the four of us are the percussion faculty at UMKC, uh, and so yeah, we rotate through. You know, one week one of us will go, another week maybe two of us will go in, um, and from time to time, all four of us go in, but. Uh, it's a little unorthodox, and we've got to applaud UMKC for having the uh, the bravery and and the vision to to bring us on. We've really enjoyed. We feel like they're getting four for the for the price of one or something like that with uh, <laughs> all of our knowledge combined. And so, yeah, we're teaching all the percussionists at UMKC, and we're also ensemble in residence at UMKC. So we get to work with composers and with arts entrepreneurship programs about you know kind of how we make all of this happen. Yeah, I I want to ask you later on in the conversation about teaching percussion and what all is involved in that. But uh, let's talk about your show first. It's called Seven Pillars. Now, I, I had heard of this before, a, a pretty well-known piece. And the name of the group, your group that's going to play it, is called Sandbox Percussion. Am, am I right so far on all this? Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. Sandbox Percussion, we're playing this piece by Andy Kehoe called Seven Pillars, uh, March 6th at 7.30, and it's an evening-length piece uh, for just percussion, percussion quartet. It's about 75 minutes or so of music. Um, Fully staged uh, performance of this piece in 11 movements. There's going to be 
lighting design as well by our good friend Michael Joseph Nakulkin. It's a fun sort of evening-length percussion installation. So we'll be performing that on the 6th at 7.30. And that'll be at the Just Off Broadway Theater, which is in the infamous Pin Valley Park. Uh, Right at the end, they're at the... uh, the Just Off Broadway Theater is right at the south end of Pin Valley Park. At the far north end of Pin Valley Park would be the Liberty Memorial and uh, the scene of last year's big parade, the Union Station out there. So uh, I hope uh, I hope the grounds weren't worn down too much <laughs> for you, of course, because there was a lot of people celebrating out there during that time. Does uh, Seven Pillars tell a story as you listen to the music. I, I, I know the pieces do because uh, as I, and I've told this story before, but you're in New York, so you haven't heard it. Uh, mm-hmm. They took us to uh, our grammar school, took us to concerts all the time. At the time, they called it the Kansas City Philharmonic, but uh, I saw so many pieces. I re- I, and I remember the beauty of Grand Canyon Suite and what that was like. And you could just... Picture yourself floating down the Colorado River through the Grand Canyon as they were playing. When music tells a story like this, and, and you could tell us about Seven Pillars, uh, it really connected, at, at least with me and, and some of my fellow students, and we've remembered that ever since. Uh, I haven't uh, heard that particular piece in a few years now, but I would love to hear it again. But tell us about Seven Pillars, uh, a little bit of background, and um, does it tell a story? That's a great question. You know, while we were, you know, we were we were working closely with the composer of the piece, who's named Andy Akiho, and uh, over years and years while he was writing this piece, and this was a question he kept asking us. He was like, ah, he's like, he's like, shouldn't it be about something? You know, because it it that really helps give audiences something to latch onto, and and. You know, the more he thought about it, the the more we realized he didn't want to put it in too much of a box. But for me, it does tell a story. You know, and I think actually everyone maybe has their own story that goes along with it. Um, but there's something about just the structural rigor of the piece. You know, every note is so meticulously placed that you get this sense of, like, inevitability, Um inside the music and so to me it's almost like this this battle between free will and determinism or something like that and 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 there is this beautiful additive process that happens so throughout the piece instruments are accumulated so we start with this very kind of bare bones raw percussive almost like taiko drumming uh, type of music, and then slowly we introduce the vibraphone, and then the glockenspiel, and then the marimba, and then by the end, you have the full kaleidoscope of colors that percussion has to offer. Um, and the lighting design tells a similar story of, of kind of this development and addition uh, that, that I'm a big fan of. There's also one other process that I'm a fan of. Andy would be the first to tell you it doesn't matter at all, but the piece is sort of a palindrome where there are relationships between the first and last movement, the second movement and the second to last movement, so on and so forth, uh, right to this midpoint, uh, pillar four, which is the middle movement, uh, is kind of the inflection point where certain things start kind of repeating themselves in, in reverse. So there is this, while the piece keeps accumulating and adding, 
when you get to the second half, there is this sense of kind of familiarity that the audience gets, which which I find is really nice. Um, but yeah, I don't know, if, Victor, if you have any thoughts about the narrative of the piece. Yeah, I think that Andy actually, in, in the early days of writing the piece, tried to superimpose a narrative on top of the piece as he was writing it, and I think found that to be very challenging for him and really just wanted the piece to be about uh, his friendship with us and our collaboration together and the way that we play music together. You know, Andy is actually also a percussionist, so we spent a lot of time in these different residencies throughout the past few years um, playing different sort of compositional sketches and ideas that Andy would have, and those eventually sort of turned out to be the, the piece, Seven Pillars, or the full 11 movements. So really it is mostly actually about our friendship, our time collaborating together, and our time making music together. Speaking with uh, Johnny Allen and Victor Cacizzi, who are part of the group Sandbox Percussion, and they were playing the piece that we're talking about, Seven Pillars, that will happen on Monday, March the 6th, 7.30 p.m. at the UMKC. You can go to the UMKC Conservative, uh, Conservatory website to see it. The actual performance is going to be at the Just Off Broadway Theater. That's at the very south side of Penn Valley Park. We're speaking with them today about the piece. How did, uh, how did all of you get together did, and come up with this arrangement where you kind of uh, rotate the teaching duties? Well, we, uh, at, particularly at UMKC, you know, Sandbox has been a quartet now since 2011. Um, and since that time, teaching has been a little bit a part of what we do. And now, actually, in the past couple years, it's a big part of what we do. Um, we applied for the position about almost two years ago. Um, and it was one teaching position, but we obviously applied as four people, so a little bit unconventional. So, you know, there was a lot of trust that they were putting in us and I guess a lot of trust that we put in them as well to, to be developing this this percussion program at, at UMKC, a little bit of an unorthodox way of doing it, splitting one position uh, through a quartet, through four people. But we love our time there. We love the students. We love the community there. And we're looking forward to all being there together next week. Sure. Let's, well, let's mention the ones that uh, couldn't be here today because they're teaching. They're teaching <laughs> students right. at UKC. <laughs> let's let's hear a little bit about them and and uh, you know I guess I maybe I'm getting too complicated here, but I'd love to know what each of you play during uh, uh, what instruments you all play during the piece. But anyway, let's talk about the people first. Yeah, totally. So yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm here with Victor. My name is Johnny. The two who aren't with us now because they are in fact teaching as we speak, I believe, uh, are Ian Rosenbaum and Terry Sweeney. And like Victor mentioned, we all met kind of in, in school, really, 10 years ago, maybe a little more at this point. Um, and the foundations of it came from really our, our friendship and mutual respect um, that we all have for each other. And so those are kind of the same foundations we're trying to instill at UMKC that, you know, you can be an amazing player, but if you don't, if you aren't able to create good relationships and be a good collaborator, it's going to be a lot harder to, to create that career you want. Um, and the interesting thing about a percussion quartet is we all kind of do it all. You know, we learned, we all learned how to play the marimba, which is the kind of the biggest of the mallet instruments, and the vibraphone, which is the metal one with a pedal, often used in jazz, the glockenspiel or the bells. 
Uh, we also do like multi-percussion is what it's called, and that's like everything under the sun. You can put it all together into a setup, and maybe it's a drum and a wood block and a cowbell and a kick drum and a, you know, almost like a crazy drum set sort of thing. Um, in Seven Pillars, we do kind of have uh, assigned instruments in a way. I play a lot of vibraphone in Seven Pillars. Uh, Ian plays a lot of marimba in Seven Pillars. Terry plays a lot of glockenspiel. And Victor, I don't know if you want to talk about what you play in Seven Pillars. <laughs> yeah, so I play uh, kind of this multi-percussion that, that Johnny was talking about. Andy sort of assembled an array of different what we call found objects in percussion. So uh, percussion instruments can be sort of normal things that everyone thinks about, vibraphones, marimbas, glockenspiel, snare drums, you know, kind of keyboard percussion instrument. But then there's these found objects like glass bottles, tuned metal pipes. We have actually a variety of tuned metal pipes, uh, different wood blocks and temple blocks. Uh, I use a kick drum as well, a metal water pitcher from a hotel, a cigar <laughs> box, cigar box. That's right. Yeah, yeah. All, all kinds of different sort of found sounds that create a sort of Andy Kehoe drum set of sorts. Uh, but it's it's a, a group of instruments that Andy and I sort of amassed together uh, throughout the time of writing the piece. Hmm. All right. Would you be allowed? Well, that's kind of a silly way to put it. Of course, if it's your group, you can come up with anything you want. But to in perhaps invent your own percussion instrument it, it sounds like that's even possible definitely allowed yeah no you you got it exactly right i'm not sure if anyone has actually used a cigar box as a percussion <laughs> instrument at least not in the way that andy uses it in this piece so in a way that is an invention of ours i guess <laughs> yeah that's interesting i think a, a, a new way of coming up with uh instruments, but I guess it's the sounds. Uh, I remember an interview I was only minorly a part of years ago, and uh, Todd Rundgren was, was playing in uh, somewhere in southwest Missouri. Maybe it was Springfield, and they were asking him about uh, how he played things. He says, well, my, my in-person concerts sound a lot different from my recordings in so much as in the recordings, I play every instrument and play it on a different track. And uh, when he plays in person, of course, that has to be a little different. Uh, putting things together that way. Uh, do you have a comment on anything like that? You know, it's funny you mentioned the difference between recording and performance because that is a, a huge conversation we had with, with Seven Pillars, with this piece we're playing uh, yet, uh, coming up on, on March 6th. Uh, the bulk of the well the piece started getting developed in 2017 2018 we were supposed to premiere it in 2020 uh which obviously didn't happen mm -hmm. and so our focus shifted from this eventual performance that we had no idea when it would ever happen we decided let's record this piece let's make the album before we ever even perform it and often in classical music the recording is supposed to sound just like a live performance, you know, like often, a, you know, a string quartet would just set themselves up in a church somewhere, throw a couple mics up, record it. I'm probably oversimplifying it, but really they're trying to capture that live thing. Um, 
But for us, we really felt like the live performance is uncapturable. Such a huge part of seeing this piece live is the fact that you're watching Victor behind this, you know, almost like prison cell of metal pipes and bottles and a metal jug, all this stuff. I mean, you can't recreate that feeling of seeing that on an album. So we went this more kind of heavily produced route where, like you said, we as much as possible, kind of isolated instruments uh, so we could have complete control of how that instrument was heard and where it was in space. You know, is that one going to come only from the left side or from the right or from behind you? Um, so we leaned in hard to the advantages that do exist with recording technology um, so that if you hear the album, obviously it's totally the same piece. There's nothing that's like, you know, a uh, uh, outside of what happens live but we just have more control and and we add a few little bells and whistles to the sound that that couldn't happen live because there are some things that happen live that you can't capture on a recording yeah in jazz in fact the musicians when they'll come in here most of the jazz musicians anyway they say oh a lot of this is uh improvisation yeah Uh, so uh you know that that uh that would make it harder for a newbie, I would guess. But of course, you're not that. But uh, improvisation—that—that that to me, that means it's never going to sound exactly the same way twice. Yeah, I, I think that you know, in a way, there might be some form of improvisation in this performance. I, I would say not in the sense of that we're making up the notes on the spot. Actually, every single note is highly notated in this 75 minute long piece we andy has written out on paper every note we've actually memorized the entire piece so hopefully it sounds at least somewhat similar uh in this performance to how it did in a in a past performance i think that maybe some elements of improvisation that are in this performance are maybe dynamics maybe tempo these sorts of things are really sort of like felt out on the spot in the performance depending on how we're feeling that night what kind of feedback we're getting from the audience what the venue is like and how it how our instruments resonate in that new space so we're really um it kind of keeps us on our toes we have to be like listening and responding to our environment with the piece that we're playing even though the notes are are hyper structured and written down and composed so i guess in a sense maybe there is some form of improvisation just in the sense that we need to be able to to react to the environment when we're playing. Would you rather play something like this in a much larger venue? The Just Off Broadway Theater is is small. I mean, it's a nice little place. It was uh, it was put up by Parks and Recreation in Kansas City. Uh, the building used to be the horse barn when they had mounted patrol. So have them tell you the story of that while you're there. (laughs) The building actually burned down and the remnants of the stone foundation that was once there is kind of around the outside of the perimeter and inside where the actual J-O-B theater is, uh, that was built inside of, uh, of all of that at a later time. But at any rate, I, I, I get off sometimes on these tangents, <laughs> but, but uh, it's a small place for the most part. And would you like something like this or would Andy like something like this to be in a larger venue or is this kind of size just fine for you? And I suppose I should also ask you, have you visited the Just Off Broadway Theater before? 
So this will be our first time at the Just Off Broadway Theater. We've gotten the, the dimensions, which are the most important part. You know, the stage kind of has to be a certain size for us to, to pull off some of the stuff we're going to be doing. Um, and in that sense, it's the perfect size. I mean, the, the stage itself is great. And, and you know, there's like a, there's a happy medium with, with concert halls. You know, we've played this piece for, I think, once we did it for as many as I don't know, 3,000 people in a convention center, which was a lot of fun, but there's something so much, it's very different, you know, to play for that big of a group versus sometimes the intimacy of a smaller venue is just as exciting, if not more exciting than a giant arena. You know, you really feel that connection to the audience. Um, you can almost look at each and every one of them if you, if you tried. And um, there's something about that that I really like. It's something we're trying to kind of, preserve inside chamber music is this feeling of intimacy so even though the piece is you know fairly extroverted and probably could fill a large space um sometimes the smaller ones are, are almost more desirable in a way it makes it feel that much more special for everyone there i suppose the the intimacy of the piece and i you know it, it's, it's hard to say i guess it's hard for me to say you're more familiar with it than, than me than but you uh i'm assuming think it's more conducive uh, perhaps towards a smaller space or would go across better in a smaller space like this i i think i personally like performing it in a smaller space like this actually because you know as percussionists what we do is it's so visual um, you know, we're, we're kind of literally <laughs> swinging our arms to be able to make the sounds that we're making on these instruments. So for an audience to be somewhat closer to us in the actual concert space, um, it's actually, I think, hopefully a better experience for them just because they're able to see all the things we're doing, how we're making all the different sounds. It's fun for us to be able to play in a small space like that and know that an audience is sort of like getting all of the information that they can possibly receive through the performance. Some actors have told me over the years they they don't like it all that much if uh, if someone in the audience is like three feet from them. <laughs> but that happens in small places, and it happens occasionally at the Just Off Broadway Theater. Uh, what about people playing instruments? Uh, how do how do you feel about that? Would you rather have a little bit of space? Uh, orchestras are known to be in the pit. I remember one of the uh, directors, uh, artistic directors, I should say, for the Kansas City Repertory Theater told me one time, why have this pit if there's no orchestra in the pit? <laughs> because for, for years, uh, at least during one or two of the artistic directors there, there wasn't any musicals at the Kansas City Repertory Theater. And they, had a, and they have a great orchestra pit there but uh but you're not playing in a pit you're playing out uh out in the open where everybody can see you and being able to see you play these various instruments is probably going to be very interesting for the audience as well not not the most conventional of, of instruments specifically when when i ask you about the instrument name several things and it sounds all very interesting you know all all that you could uh all that you could make and uh, the different sounds you could make along with it yeah it's true the the i mean and that's really the joy of percussion is that i mean throughout the evening i mean even i'm shocked at the number of sounds and timbres that andy kind of coaxes out of these instruments um 
there's nothing really conventional about percussion at this point at all. You know, it's such a brand new uh, genre of, of classical music that every composer is, is actually making a big impact on the, the trajectory of this art form. I mean, it's something I love about it is if someone comes to a Seven Pillars concert, they're basically caught up on uh, on percussion history in a way. You know, I mean, obviously there's little details here and there, but like if you see that piece, you see a, the whole range of techniques and a, a pretty healthy cross-section of the instruments. You could leave that feeling like, okay, I feel like I'm... I can somewhat. I'm somewhat of an authority on on percussion chamber music now because the history really is only about a hundred years, maybe even less, of of music that we have. People have asked me, and, I, and I'm going to ask you because you're the experts. You you teach it and all of that. They say, what's the difference between uh, a chamber orchestra and a regular orchestra? I'm I'm just gonna. I I think I know, but I'm going to let you answer it. No, that's that's a, a great question because honestly, this is kind of the core of our curriculum at at. UMKC is is the chamber music that we we teach there, um, and so a chamber orchestra, or at least a chamber ensemble, in, in to me is certainly it's only one player per part. So rather than having you know two, three, four, or twenty people all playing the same part in unison, the way you'll have in, in a large orchestra there's only one person responsible for a given line of music. And so that's a lot of responsibility on that person's plate uh, that has both pros and cons, but um, that's certainly how our group operates. This doesn't have to be the case, but the second thing I think of is that often a chamber ensemble is unconducted. Um, some chamber orchestras still have a conductor, but, uh, you know, our chamber quartet, we basically never play with a with a conductor which means that actually all four of us in our quartet have to be part performer part conductor in any given moment we have to kind of understand the piece we need to all agree with each other about what we're trying to say and i think it makes for a lengthier rehearsal process because it's certainly more streamlined to have one person say here's how we're doing this um but i feel like we have a more enriching rehearsal process because each of us can say how we feel about a section and listen to each other and come to an agreement and we end up with a more kind of resounding uh, musical product, I think, as a result. Uh -huh. Oh, I agree with you. Uh, it, it, I was going to say it might be more difficult, but maybe not. If uh, the way you do it, it sounds like maybe uh, having someone conducting and We've all we've all seen them. They they will look at a part a certain part of the of their orchestra and, and they will point the baton over there and a certain uh, <laughs> a certain a certain segment of the music will begin playing them. That's just not to say that the people in the orchestra don't know when it's their time. I'm sure they do. <laughs> but but the or I, I guess the conductor helps keep things organized. Uh, I'm assuming now. I, I might ask you that later on, but uh, but uh, yeah, when the conductor is crucial to, I mean, when a ensemble gets to a certain size, it's basically necessary to to have a conductor. And also, sometimes if rehearsal time is limited, it's also crucial to have a conductor. I mean, it, it streamlines things and it helps keep things together. So so. Uh, you know, if there are any orchestra lovers out there, I'm not trying to, <laughs> you know, d dispose of the, the conductor. I think it's an incredible asset, and a great conductor 
can, you know, can make a performance even better than, than it would have been otherwise. Oh, sure. um, but, you know, we, we operate outside of those rules and, and it, it comes with responsibility. You know, like you said, the conductor points the baton. Now for us, it's, we'll just, you know, it, we all will look to the person who maybe is the focal point um, and, and kind of they'll almost be our conductor in that moment and how they shape their phrase will inform the way we play ours. And then when their music passes off to someone else, that's where their energy goes. And we're almost like, a, like an organism uh, as, as we perform. And the more time we spend doing it, I think the better we get at it. Oh sure, and if the four of you are are close, as uh, as you've said, uh, that probably makes it just that much easier to do uh, in all of that. I assume you've. I'm sure this isn't the only piece you've played. I'm sure you've played others, and and we can talk about that. We're at the halfway point of the show, a little past, so I had better take my mid-show break. Uh, but we will return after our break with uh, Johnny Allen and Victor Cachizi part of the uh, Sandboy Production Group, and they will be playing uh, Seven Pillars on Monday, March the 6th at 7.30 p.m. at the Just Off Broadway Theater. That's the uh, Parks and Recreation building that was put up because there was a lack of space for a community theater uh, in this part of Kansas City, and uh, uh, it's, a nice, uh, it's a nice little space where it is, and uh, I think you'll... Uh, You'll, you'll enjoy the performance there, I think, very much. Let's take our mid-show break, and then we will return. You're listening to the Arts Magazine radio program right here on KKFI. 90.1 FM. Freeze Frame! Hi, I'm Russ Simmons with Freeze Frame, KKFI's weekly look at the newest cinematic fair in theaters and streaming. Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, is the third standalone Ant-Man movie featuring our size-shifting Avengers hero, played by Kansas City's own Paul Rudd. Evangeline Lilly, Michelle Pfeiffer, and Michael Douglas reprised their roles from the previous Ant-Man entry. Ant-Man and his crew inadvertently shrink to the quantum realm only to discover that it looks just like a planet from a Star Wars movie. And while the tone of this goofy entry is all over the place, it does introduce Jonathan Majors as the menacing supervillain Kang the Conqueror, and he nails it. Otherwise, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania is just another overly busy Marvel extravaganza. The Apple TV Plus psychological thriller Sharper is a twisty drama that will keep you guessing. Julianne Moore and Sebastian Stan lead a strong cast in this intricately structured tale about con artists working to fleece a billionaire, played by John Lithgow. But who's conning whom? Don't think too hard about the details because they don't quite hold up to post-movie scrutiny but Sharper still provides a lot of decadent fun while you're watching it. Given its title, you'd think that the midnight horror movie Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey would at least have some camp value. Nope. This micro-budget slasher movie is a witless Halloween ripoff with Pooh and Piglet responsible for the bloody mayhem instead of Michael Myers. Pooh, indeed. Want to see the acclaimed short films that are nominated for this year's Academy Awards? The live-action, animated, and documentary short programs open this week at the Screenland and Glenwood Arts Theaters. Information is available at Screenland.com and FineArtsGroup.com. Well, that's it for this edition of Freeze Frame. Until next time, I'm Russ Simmons with Fox 4 and KKFI-FM. Freeze Frame! 
Hi, this is Mark Manning. For local and new releases and a mix of all genre, for interviews with artists, musicians, and writers, for freeform radio that plays with themes, questions, and events, tune in to Wednesday Midday Medley, Wednesdays from 10 to noon, right here on 90.1 FM, KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. And welcome back to the Arts Magazine Show right here on KKFI 90.1 FM, your community radio station right here in Kansas City. I'm Michael Hogue, your your host. We're speaking with Johnny Allen and Victor Cachizzi, uh, two of the members of Sandbox Percussion. And we're talking about the piece they're going to be playing on uh, Monday, March the 6th at 7.30 p.m. at the Just Off Broadway Theater. It's called Seven Pillars. And uh, with us right now speaking are Johnny Allen and Victor Cachizzi. Uh, their colleagues are over at UMKC right now teaching students. Now, the conservatory has uh, quite a good reputation. Uh, it's, it's interesting. Uh, oh, welcome back, by the way. I just, I just start the conversation as if you were. Well, thanks. Good to be back. <laughs> I've, I've been over there. Uh, years ago, I dated a woman who was a violin teacher over there. And she took me over there and she showed me the rooms over underneath the white recital hall where some of the students would go to practice. And I found that fascinating, all the different sounds coming out of each room uh, and all of that. Uh, does that work similar with the students you teach? And at what point in their music education do you come in and teach them uh, percussion-style things? It works pretty pretty similar to that, actually. You know, if you walk the halls at UMKC, you'll, you'll hear all kinds of sounds, especially in the percussion wing. You're going to hear all kinds of different instruments and students practicing. Um, you know, they're, they're playing all kinds of different uh, repertoire and kinds of instruments. So when we go there, we teach them lessons on all of these instruments about one visit per week. Uh, that's, that's more or less what it breaks down to, about one visit from one of us per week. Um, and when we're there, we'll be working with the students on various different things from marimba, solo music. There, there's sort of a, a literature for marimba solo music right now, uh, which is a big part of their lessons. They also get a lot of lessons on timpani, um, which is a sort of crucial instrument in the orchestral repertoire. Uh, so they play a lot in orchestra in school, and they're, it's important for them to have a, a good sort of foundation on playing timpani in orchestra. So a lot of our lessons are on, are on that. Um, and then, of course, you know, because we're a percussion quartet, a chamber group, we do a lot of chamber music with the students as well. So pretty much every week we'll be doing chamber music coachings with different pieces that have been assigned to a few different groups at the school throughout the year. Um, actually, I should mention it all sort of all of this sort of culminates in a spring percussion ensemble concert, uh, which this year is happening on March 2nd. So all of Sandbox is going to be at uh, UMKC in Kansas City um, a lot in March for, uh-huh. for this Sounds getting like prepared it, yeah. for this percussion ensemble concert and then also for our Seven Pillars concert on the 6th. Yeah, so speaking with Johnny Allen, Victor Cachizzi, and talking about uh, Seven Pillars and Sandbox Percussion. Uh, tell, me about, tell, tell me about yourselves uh, individually. How did, uh, oh, let's go with Johnny first. How did, it, how did it all begin with music? Were you very talented at a young age and uh, <laughs> d- decided that this is what you wanted to do? Yeah, you know, I think like most kids, I was 
you know, hitting on pots and pans and stuff. I, wow. I think as early as <laughs> age three or whatever it was. And so, um, and you know, I would take piano lessons and, uh, I think I played drum set, like, you know, like a lot of kids did, but I, I, I was maybe a little more obsessed than the, than the average kid. Um, and eventually I learned about kind of this expanded field of, of percussion music that it's, it can be more than just drum set. It can also be mallet instruments and found objects like we were talking about earlier. Um, and I was just kind of excited by that infinite possibility. Uh, I think I also played in a, a fife and drum corps, kind of like a, a revolutionary war style. Oh, sure. Uh, yeah. yeah, with the, yeah, the rope tension drums and the tri-cornered hats and all the works. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> and is actually part of our lineage here. Um, but yeah, so I went to school for percussion. Um, I actually started playing with a percussion trio when I was in college. So I guess I knew on some level that I really liked playing in a group, you know, in a small kind of tight knit group of people that could kind of control our destiny a little bit and, and run our own ensemble, make our own artistic choices. Um, and then I went off to grad school. Uh, I was at the Yale School of Music in New Haven, uh, where kind of all four of us in Sandbox met, really, at least we all of our paths went through there. And that's when I met Victor, who's here with me. Um, and we just hit it off, you know, I, before I was even part of the group, we would be playing music together and staying up late, you know, practicing things and working on stuff and refining our techniques. And uh, that's kind of what this all boils down to at the end of the day is that we, we love doing it and we love doing it with, with each other. I think we all inspire each other to, to be better and uh, to work hard. So and now I, I guess, 10 years later, we're, we're still here based in, in Brooklyn and, and making it happen, having a fun time. So that, that's kind of my story. Do you, <laughs> do you play gigs in, in the New York area? Well, I, I should expand the question better than that. <laughs> Where do you play gigs usually? So all over, I mean, the, as a quartet, we play about, I think this past year or this kind of season we're in right now, we're playing 46 concerts. Um, and that's about normal. You know, we play anywhere from 35 to 45 concerts a year, which amounts to pretty much a show every few weeks, uh, maybe every two weeks or something like that. And I think we were recently in San Antonio and in Austin. Uh, you know, obviously we'll be in Kansas City performing next week and uh, all kinds of different kind of classical concert series that happen around the United States and even parts of uh, Europe. We made it to Paris in the fall and also to Northern Ireland and Wales um, for some fun international trips. But um, also some concerts in New York, though, not as many as you would think considering we're based here. We maybe play in New York three or four times a year. Um, but this is where our rehearsal space is and this is where kind of our, our significant others are. Uh -huh. <laughs> so, so it keeps us rooted. Sure. What about Victor? How, how did it all... How did it, when did it dawn on you that this this was a thing for you? Yeah, no. Uh, well, actually, I guess I I got started on percussion a little later, I think, than than Johnny. I started playing um, some piano at a young age. Uh, my dad's a pianist, uh, amateur pianist, 
Um, so I kind of picked up playing some piano uh, at a young age. And then when I got to high school, I just became uh, kind of so fixated on the percussionists that were around me in the high school band and particularly in the marching band. Um, the, the drum line and the pit percussion, I got really uh, excited about that. And, you know, keyboard mallet percussion was actually something I could understand somewhat because I played piano. So, you know, it was also a keyboard instrument. Um, I was able to sort of pick that up rather quickly and then that sort of like moved to playing drums and playing on the drum line and playing drum set. And then I got um, introduced to more sort of contemporary classical percussion music. And that led to uh, my time being uh, studying percussion music in, in college and undergrad. And it was around that time that Sandbox kind of got started in, in late in my undergrad in 2011. Chamber music was a big part of what we were all doing when we were in college. Um, and it was the thing that we were most excited about when we were in college, we had a good time doing it with our friends when we were in school. So we decided, um, well, let's just take it outside of school and try to imagine it as a career. And there were a few other groups that were doing a similar thing. Some slightly older groups than us were doing a similar thing at that time. So it wasn't a totally crazy uh, out, of, out of left field idea to create a job out of it. Um, but that's what we've been doing since 2011. Sandbox is a nonprofit now. Um, we obviously are, are teaching at UMKC as a, as a um, in addition to performing concerts all around the U.S. So it's it's a job now, and we're we're having a good time doing it. Do you sell yourself as uh, the quartet and and the teaching quartet <laughs> as well? Yeah, I mean, I think a big part of I mean, we teaching has always been a a big part of what we do because I mean we see ourselves as part of this kind of line of classical music and you know maybe the percussion branch of that and uh the hope is that this continues you know beyond our time and uh, in order to help make that happen we need to get the next generation excited about it so they can be even better than we are um so we've always been doing uh you know summer seminars we have like a week-long thing that that we've been doing for i guess eight years now where we bring in percussionists and play with them and we'll of course do the normal gauntlet of master classes and clinics uh, over the course of the year. But the UMKC thing, which started last year, I guess we're in our, our fourth semester now, was the first really full, more full-time uh, job that, that where we have this studio of students that we take under our wing and see them through this point in their career to, to you know, find jobs and create lives as artists. Um and it's been an unbelievable experience just to to have that more long-form relationship with a student uh, where you see them progress week to week and year to year and, you know, even beyond that. Um, so, so it's been really a, a very exciting thing. I'll bet so. Uh, what What is today's student like? Are they more student? And I would imagine, oh, correct me if I'm wrong because I'm guessing, <laughs> but at, at Yale... I would have imagined they started you out with the classic classics, uh, but I could be wrong. Were they more innovative than that there? At, at Yale, actually, um, you know, there's a, a large emphasis on chamber music at Yale. Um, and I should mention we all went to Yale for grad school. Um, so we all had undergrad experiences for four years before getting to Yale. And I think at those institutions, 
we were um, trained in lots of different areas of percussion, so more kind of like classics, like you're saying, maybe uh, playing more in orchestra, playing Beethoven symphonies, you know, Mahler symphonies, these sorts of things in orchestra, and really studying that when we were in school. Obviously, also studying more contemporary music, more contemporary percussion music as well. Um, and when we got to Yale, I think that was a big focus, that contemporary percussion chamber music. That was a big focus at Yale. We, we of course, also played in orchestra at Yale and Yale Philharmonia, um, and that was actually an enriching experience. Um, but I, I think at Yale, the, the focus was maybe more, a little bit more in the sort of like chamber music round. Oh, the sure. other really interesting thing about the, the Yale experience is I, I think it was a pretty forward-thinking music school um, in that one or one of the major ensembles we played in was dedicated to only playing brand new works written by the composers going to school at Yale. So you would be working with your, you know, kind of your co-students. You know, one of them wrote the piece, one of them's playing piano, you're playing percussion, maybe there's some, some other instruments thrown in as, as well or whatever. But And that is was so foundational to really the way we make our living now. A big part of what we do is commission new music, obviously Seven Pillars being a, a great example of that. Um, and so that's something we're trying to... Uh, to continue here at, at UMKC, and they've been very open to it. Uh, half of our percussion ensemble concert coming up on March 2nd is there actually works written by composers studying at UMKC. And these are fabulous new works um, for four percussionists that are being premiered and, and wouldn't have existed, you know, without this, this concert and these students playing it. So, um, I find that kind of brings music to life in a way that sometimes studying the classics, while those are amazing pieces, they can feel, I shouldn't use, I'm, the word dead is terrible because these are living pieces of music <laughs> of in, in so many are. ways. But, of course they but, are. Yeah, but playing new pieces almost helps you realize that, that you know, Beethoven, Brahms were living human beings, living, breathing people who, you know, maybe had some questions about the way this music should go and, um I think having this perspective on it of, of you know, humanizing the composer and, and recognizing that is, um, at least for me, it was it helped contextualize all the music I play. Oh, sure. Yeah. And that, that makes me think, when I originally learned as a child that Beethoven was deaf, yeah. I, I thought to myself, how could he possibly compose music <laughs> he, he probably also played music i as well i imagine but oh yeah i i assume that he just remembered what it sounded like before he was deaf and he could compose that way that's brilliant i i can't think of of a more brilliant thing that one could do as that absolutely yeah i, I mean that's my assumption too obviously i didn't get to get to ever meet beethoven but uh but it's the, yeah, probably his memory of what pitches were and what instruments sounded like. And there was probably a certain amount of freedom that came from not having these other aural distractions that allowed him to maybe find things that he otherwise wouldn't have. You know, I, I think it's kind of amazing. Well, your concert is coming up on uh, Monday, March the 6th, 7.30 p.m., just off Broadway Theater, for those of you who don't know, it's at the very south end of Penn Valley Park. Uh, one side of it kind of borders 31st Street, but it's in Penn Valley Park. And they'll be playing there on that night, and they'll be playing Seven Pillars, 
uh, composed by one of the members. And as far as I don't have enough time to go into all this, darn it. But <laughs> do you all have ambitions to write pieces or has that already happened? Do you write your own pieces and how are you inspired to do so? Do you uh, do, do well, you feel the melody? What we should make is that the piece was actually written by Andy Akiho, who is not part of our quartet. Oh, okay. um, but we worked extremely closely with him. I mean, that's kind of how we do approach these collaborations in a way is that, you know, we're a quartet, but for any new piece we commission, we kind of be, we try to become a quintet in a way. So I'm flattered that you said it's written by one of the members. Cause honestly, I would consider Andy a, a member of sandbox and kind of the extension. Yeah. Yeah. In an expanded way. But, um, but some of us do compose as well. So I think that that is helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, this sounds silly, I know, but I'm not exactly sure how it works. Do you hear a melody in your head? Uh, maybe as, as you wake up, this melody is going over in your head, and do you try to do something with that? How does it work for each of you? And you know, I know what? It's funny. Yeah, both Vic and I do write write music for the ensemble, and, and his answer may be different than mine, so I'll certainly give him a, a shot here, but at least for me personally, yeah, it kind of starts with these general ideas. Maybe it is a melody or a bass line or something. And then I think that the obsessive part of my personality will just tinker with it, probably for way longer than any sane person would want to tinker with something. And <laughs> oh, I'll don't don't kind say of, that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> dig, dig deeper and deeper and keep trying new combinations of things and and what if we add this layer here and then several hours later, maybe I've got eight bars or something like that. But um, the, that's sort of, at least for me, is, is how it goes, is these vague melodic things. It's often pitch-based for me, and then I'm trying to invent rhythms next or something like that. Um, but, but I do feel very lucky to have this kind of captive ensemble that can play my music sometimes. Um, and I think it's helped me to understand that composer-performer relationship a little more. You know, I, when I feel so grateful to them when they play my music. I forget that a composer probably has that same feeling and that this kind of goodwill that should happen between the composer and the performer, which sometimes gets lost. You know, that, that's such a, a crucial part of the process. Like, I don't know if you have a, a composition technique that you like to use. Yeah, sometimes it. Uh, I, I, any music I write, I tend to get good ideas or what I think are good ideas while I'm driving in the car. Um, just something very like sort of Zen and reflective about that. So yeah, I think sometimes it can result in a sort of melody that might be like a little earworm or for me, a lot of times it's like some sort of like rhythmic phrase or rhythmic loop that I create um, in my, in my head. And that might, if I'm lucky, that might, spin itself out into an eventual piece of music and if not it will just sort of like vanish into the ether unfortunately that's what happens more often <laughs> um but yeah i mean you know it, it can really just come from uh a lot of our time playing music by other composers you know i think that we we have the great opportunity to work with living composers on new pieces so we get to kind of see firsthand what a compositional process looks like um, and I think that, you know, when that gets sort of like passed through our own lens, um, we might hopefully be able to come up with our own ideas as well. That could eventually be compositions one day. And I think for, for Andy, who, you know, wrote 
seven pillars that the, the piece will be playing on the sixth. Um, I can't say I'm inside his head at all, but we were around him quite a bit while he was writing. And I think at the core of it, it a lot of his process comes from improvisation. Um, and so, and also a lot of his motivation comes from communal energy. So having all four of us in the room would be kind of the motivation for him to start creating. And uh, in some cases, he would kind of improvise a form or a structure. You know, he would have a little cell of music that he would teach to one of us on the spot, and he would say, okay, you play that, and then, okay, you play this melody in quarter notes over the top of it, and you play this other melody, and you're going to loop it seven times, and, and then he'll start listening to it, and he'll be like, no, 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 okay, actually, you play this other part, you play that other, and we would just iterate and iterate on these themes and ideas, uh, almost like a live MIDI sequencer, um, and in that way, we could learn the music even more thoroughly. Sure. I also have this strong memory of him writing. So Pillar 3 has this groove that comes in about partway through and is kind of the backbone of the piece. Well, and I remember Andy knew kind of how we wanted it to feel and how we wanted it to work. And it was going to be one hand on these metal pipes and this kick drum and this kind of almost snare drum hi-hat accompaniment. And we set up Victor's setup, which is playing this part, and just let Andy loose on it. And for about, I don't know, eight hours or something, Andy's just playing and playing and trying things. And every so often he'd be like, okay, record this. And we would videotape <laughs> it. And then, you know, he would kind of relearn it and then expand on it from there. And um, But always it's about kind of in real time feeling the instruments and feeling it in his body and then hearing it too as well. But, okay. Um, yeah, yeah, our time's just about up. Hey, thank oh you so much for calling in uh, and telling us all about it. Johnny Allen and Victor Cachizzi talking about uh, their group, uh, Sandbox Production, and the percussion concert that they'll be having on Monday, March the 6th at 7.30 p.m. at the Just Off Broadway Theater. They'll be playing uh, Seven Pillars, and you can ask them all about it uh, there when you see them there as well. Thanks so much for calling in. From, thank you. From I, New York City. Pleasure. Okay. Thank you very much. It was nice talking with you today and learn, learning yep. what motivates you and all that. That's, that's just as interesting as well. Thanks so much. Thank you. Be well. The Jazz Canadian is next. We're going to have some interesting music this afternoon. We're going to have jazz from 1 to 3 with the Jazz Canadian. We're going to have the blues from 3 to 6 with the Lady D, I hope. All here. Right here on your community radio station, 90.1 FM KKFI, Kansas City's community radio. So until next, we meet, ladies and gentlemen, at that crossing the road. I'm Michael Hogue. We'll see you next time.